Today we're going to take a brief break from our study of Jonah to look at the resurrection of Christ. But I hope what you find is that there's not a, a vast difference in, in the point we've been seeing again and again in Jonah, where we have this reluctant missionary, but we're contrasting that to, to God's compassionate heart. His heart that would see salvation come. I think we'll get a glimpse into to that very reality this morning. I think we'll see exactly what gives that power and fuel. So what would, what would take an unwilling person like me or like you and make us willing? Willing to speak. Willing to be a witness to the resurrected Christ. Before we get to resurrection, though, I think we need to take a minute and consider death. In Scripture, death is presented different than the world's presentation of death. In Scripture, death is presented as a curse. It's a curse of God. And the sting of that curse has been felt by all of us. We're all born under that curse. Why is it so unnatural when someone we love dies? Right, if, you, if you remove God and His Word from the equation and you approach life with just a purely secular grid, why does it still hurt? Because it's not natural. It's not why we were created. We weren't created to die. Death is a curse. We spend so much time and money and effort in our physical lives trying to roll back the curse, trying not to face the consequences that we will ultimately face death. We weren't created for it. So that's the grid that we, that we come to when we come to the Scriptures and we we see sin and death and hell and the grave. They're presented as enemies. They aren't natural. They aren't the way that God created us to be. They're a result of rebellion. So what of the resurrection? The resurrection of Christ is the beginning of an undoing of the curse. A complete unraveling of death, hell, and the grave. Beginning with the person and work of Christ and His resurrection. It means a fundamental shift. A breaking in of the kingdom of God here and now. Life offered. Hope offered. Even in the face of death. Those of us who are in Him can experience resurrection power here and now, today. We are not to live as those who are condemned, but those who are made alive. I'll give a few quotes here that I believe will help wrap our minds around this reality. First is by a scholar named N.T. Wright. The resurrection completes the inauguration of God's kingdom. 
It is the decisive event demonstrating that God's kingdom really has been launched on earth as it is in heaven. The message of Easter is that God's new world has been unveiled in Jesus Christ and that you're now invited to belong to it, end quote. Another, Sinclair Ferguson, quote, we are adopted into God's family through the resurrection of Christ from the dead in which he paid all our obligations to sin, the law and the devil in whose family we once lived. Our old status lies in his tomb. A new status is ours through his resurrection, end quote. One more. This is from Calvin. Quote, the cross of Christ only triumphs in the breast of believers over the devil and the flesh, sin and sinners when their eyes are directed to the power of his resurrection. The resurrection of Christ really is the linchpin. It's what puts it all together. It's what makes all these these pieces that are floating around about who Jesus is and what He came to do, the resurrection of Christ makes all of that come together and give bright clarity to the truth of gospel hope. That's true here in our text this morning and it's true for our lives today. Have you encountered the risen Christ? Do you know Him? Have you seen Him? Do you believe that He's alive? These are vital questions. And without answering these questions, you can't really know gospel hope. Today in our text, we're going to look at some lessons. Not just in 36 through 53, we're going to back up and see some lessons in verses 1 through 12. Some lessons learned at the tomb. Second, some lessons on the road. The road to Emmaus, 13 to 35, and then some lessons of Jesus with his disciples in the text that we read earlier. First, some lessons at the tomb, verses 1 through 12. It's very early in the morning, the first day of the week. Jesus, the friend of these women who loved him dearly, They went to Him. They went to serve Him even in His death. So they go to the tomb where Jesus was laid and He wasn't there. There are two men in shining bright garments and they make an announcement. Why do you seek the living among the dead? Verse 6, He is not here but He is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And then look at this in in your Bibles, verses 8 and 9. This is key. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Okay, so here's what the resurrection does. Pieces of God's Word fall into place 
and boldness is given. Hope is given in the face of sorrow. Imagine these women. Imagine their tears. Their pain at the loss of a loved one. And that pain and loss is turned into joy through the power of the resurrection. Generally, I love this. In all of cosmic history, this event stands out as unique. The resurrection of Christ, again, is the fundamental undoing and rolling back of the curse itself. And who's the first one invited to the party? Women. Women were invited to the party to come and see the first, to see the empty tomb. What great value, dignity, worth our Lord gives. And I know you've likely heard this reality before, but it's worth saying again, women, why would it be included in these clear ways, even including names in this part of the text? And and that's this, women in this day weren't credible witnesses. They couldn't testify in court. So if you were writing a made-up story, right, and you were trying as best you can to build in credibility, you would not tell the story this way. But it actually does the exact opposite. It lends historic credibility to the text. It's saying this is what really happened, like it or not, like the fact that women are the first there or not, this is what happened. It's a beautiful testament to the fact that Christ is risen Next, the resurrection of Christ happened just as He said it would. These two angels clothed in white said, do you remember what you were told? Do you remember what Jesus told you in Galilee that He was going to die? And on the third day He was going to rise from the dead? It's almost like everybody got amnesia about that reality. They forgot. They didn't believe until they encountered this reality. And then lastly, notice, even in the midst of no doubt fear, no doubt anxiety, they went and they told the eleven and the others what they had seen. Here we see the Word of God and the resurrected Christ coming together to transform people. Second, some lessons from the road. So now we come to this this other event. Jesus appears some miles away, walking on a road. Two disciples are leaving town. Why would disciples be leaving Jerusalem on the first day of the week? Fear. Again, their leader, the leader of this movement, has just been crucified. Do you want to stick around and see what happens to you? You're a known follower. They're afraid. So they're getting out of town. Jesus meets them on the road. And this one walking with them was unknown to them at first. He speaks directly to their fears. Verses 25 through 27. O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe 
all that the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into His glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, He interpreted to them in all the Scriptures the things concerning Himself. After that, He sits down with them for supper. He blesses the bread. He breaks it. He gives it to them. And then they know. Then they know this is who He is. See these things coming together. And then when Jesus is gone from their midst, they said, did not our hearts burn within us while He talked to us on the road, while He opened to us the Scriptures? So again, the Scriptures, the Word of God, and encountering the risen Christ. So what are they going to do? What did the women do when they encountered the very same reality? What did they do? Verse 23, or 33, they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. They were afraid. They were scared. They were scared for their own lives. They were scared of what was going to happen to the disciples. Could they be next? And yet here they encounter the living, risen Savior. They encounter Him in His Word and in person. And that changes them. They go back. They make their announcement. And there's so much we can say here. Just a few observations Jesus points out that all of Scripture, beginning with Moses and the prophets, which is shorthand for the Old Testament, the whole thing is about one person. It's about one person. It's all about Jesus. The whole thing. The Old Testament. That was their text. That was the text that He was using He was using Moses, the prophets, and the writings. Showing them all the things contained there concerning Himself. Jesus is the point of all of Scripture. He is the center. They encounter Christ in the Word. They encounter Him in person. And then they are emboldened to turn back around, to go, maybe even to face death. They don't know what they're going back into, but the reason they had to leave is now gone. They are empowered by the resurrection to be bold. Finally, let's look at some lessons from our text, verses 36 through 53. First, Jesus appears to them. This encounter opens with the disciples behind locked doors. John tells us that. They're together in the upper room. They haven't left town, but they're afraid. I imagine they're huddled together. I imagine they're keeping it down. This probably was not a raucous affair. Again, they were afraid. 
And I imagine them talking together about these reports that are flowing in. These reports from the women who who came in and said, hey, this is what we encountered. And then the two come in from the road and, and they bang on the door. Hey, let us in. We've got something to tell you. I imagine there's a buzz of conversation, but it's low. Could this be? And then there Jesus stands. In the middle of this discussion, He suddenly appears in their midst. I love that. And He announces, peace be with you. The very same announcement, by the way, given by the angels at His birth. Peace among men. Jesus comes now in His resurrection and announces peace. What's the response of the disciples? Let me ask you, what would your response be? It would be easy to look at them, kind of especially as a believer. Right? We know the full story, but here they are. They, they don't know. They're wondering at, at the reality of all of this. They were terrified. We just saw Him three days ago. We saw Him die. We watched it happen. Some of us from afar, but we all know the reality that happened to Him. He was dead. We saw them take Him down from a cross. Horrible, ugly death. No doubt He was dead. They laid Him in a tomb. They were afraid. Verse 37 says, They were startled and frightened. The term startled is translated other places in the New Testament, terrified. They were terrified. The King James translates spirit like this, ghost. I think that resonates more with us. They thought they saw a ghost. He's he's not a person. He's he's not real. This This is a spirit. I love that the Scriptures... Don't back down. Again, this is a historical account. The first response in their minds was, this isn't real. He's a ghost. Look, if you're writing this, again, to to make the best possible case and and try to dupe people, you're going to put in there that, of course it was Jesus. Of course He was risen. No, the first thing it acknowledges is doubt. Yeah. They saw Him and they had doubts. And then Jesus responds. I love that He does this. He's so gracious and so kind. He could have lowered the boom on them. He could have been really hard on them right here. He morons. He does none of that. What does He do? See my hands and my feet. That it is I myself Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. Touch me. Look at me. Look at the scars that are here. Look at my feet. Hold me. He invites the doubter. He invites them. Come. It's okay. It's okay to have questions. He knows they need convincing, but He doesn't scold them. They respond, look at verse 41, and while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, 
The first time, we're told they disbelieved for fear. They were terrified. This time for joy. What's going on? Suddenly they're convinced that it, that it is Jesus, but he, they're still not fully convinced that He's a person. So, so they're getting there, but they're not quite there. They disbelieve for joy this time. They're so excited, He's back. Y'all, this really is Him, but it, it's not Him physically. Right? They still weren't believing. They were disbelieving. The text says so, but doing so for joy. We have, to, we have to make a comment here that right now, right this instant, there is a risen king who is a person. Right? He, he is a person who conquered death. Right now, he is seated on a throne at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. He he is not some ethereal thing. His body rose from the dead. He is alive. A living person. I think sometimes we lose the reality of that. I think sometimes we're we're like the disciples. Maybe even for joy. Maybe maybe we're we're glad that Jesus conquered death. But do we really believe that He's a person? Right now, existing, conquering death, hell, and the grave. But again, Jesus treats them with great grace. They're ready to throw a party, right? They're ready to celebrate for for joy. And Jesus says, you have something to eat? Like if if you're not going to believe that I'm real by touching me, by feeling me, give me something to eat. Does the Spirit do this? And He takes boiled fish and He eats. He is proving that He is a person. That He's alive. Death has not conquered Him. And now they see. Jesus responds now that He's proven that it's Him. The scars, His hands, His feet... Now that he's eaten fish and all that that entails, he now does something that may seem strange. He points to the Word of God. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures And said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in His name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. This shouldn't surprise us. This is the pattern that Luke is setting up from the tomb itself. The pattern is this, encounter Christ in the Scriptures. And in the Scriptures for us today, when you, when you encounter Him there, encounter the risen Christ, and that will bring transformation. He's saying again that the Scriptures, Moses, 
the prophets, the Psalms are about him from beginning to end. We are to see the scriptures and understand that Jesus is coming and what he's going to do. What's the message to be delivered? It's repentance for the forgiveness of sins. It's the same message that stands over our lives. Repent. Agree with God about your sin and believe in what He has done in the person and work of Christ. Jesus responds by telling His followers that they are going to be witnesses of this reality. Witness the resurrection. And they're going to go out and bear witness to everyone. Hey, He's risen. Our King is risen. He's alive. This pattern is great. Death is conquered. The resurrection giving hope, rolling back the curse. I love that it's tied to the Scriptures. Every bit of which declare the central message of Christ. There's so much we could say. The animal was slaughtered in the garden to clothe Adam and Eve. Do you see Christ there? When Abraham is promised that through his seed would come a blessing to every nation. Every nation through you, Abraham, every nation is going to be blessed. Where does Christ send his followers? You're going to be witnesses starting in Jerusalem to the nations. Christ is the substance of blessing. The hope that we have is a hope for the nations. When Moses strikes the rock, bringing life-giving water to a thirsty people wandering in a desert, do you see Christ there? The one who was struck, laid low to give life-giving water to us. When the tabernacle and the temple are erected, the sacrificial system is put in place. Could the blood of bulls and goats, of lambs, ever fully satisfy the wrath of a holy God against sin? No, every single bit of that, every single bit of it points to Christ. When Isaiah speaks of a king in one part of his prophecy, And then you keep reading along and all of a sudden you get to a suffering servant. Could those be the same? Absolutely. The conquering and cosmic king is the very same man as the suffering servant of Isaiah. When the young King David walks out into the valley to face a serpent-like giant, Goliath. When everybody else is afraid, by the way, and hiding behind trees and, and in valleys, they're running away from the scene, and you see a young king say, I'm, I'm not going to tolerate it. I'm not going to tolerate the name of the Father being dismissed like this. And he runs out And he conquers the giant. Do you see Christ there? 
I think so often we bring these moralistic applications. How do you slay the giant in your life? You see that Christ is the answer in all of that. He is the hero. All the law, the prophets, the writings point to the death, burial, and resurrection of our King. In every case, in Luke, when Jesus is encountered in His resurrection, it's always tied to the Word of God. These accounts, all three accounts, Luke is making a point. Do you want to be assured of who Christ is and what He's done? Find that in the Word of God. It gives life, it gives hope to all the nations. Lastly, where does Luke take us? He he takes us to the ascension of Christ. And he led them out as far as Bethany and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And look at verse 52. It's a beautiful thing. They worshipped Him. Who is this Jesus? The very Son of God. Worthy of all worship. They worshipped Him. The risen, conquering, and now ascended King. They worshipped Him. So a few applications. The resurrection gives meaning and hope to our lives. It lets us know that this is not the end. Look, the resurrection gives hope in the face of fear and doubt. There is no doubt as we are gathered together this morning, there are people here struggling greatly with fear, with doubt, with anxiety that life just throws at us. What's the answer? God doesn't give us some trite answer. He says, believe. Believe that the curse has been undone and broken in Christ, in His resurrection. It points us to a King that gives answer to our fears. The resurrection of Christ creates worshipers. Have you encountered the risen Christ? Do you know that in this life, with all its pain, with all its toil, with its heartache, with broken hearts, that you can have hope? You can have hope in a living King. Next, I think another application, and this takes us directly to Jonah. What would take a resistant us, right, who who might not want to go out, who might not want to proclaim the good news, who who might have those people over there that we think are are less or undeserving, what would change that in our hearts? It's encountering the resurrected Christ. It's believing the Gospel. If we believe that He is living, in all three instances before us today, it, it changes people. It fundamentally shifts them from being unwilling to go, they're quiet, to being willing. I will go. I will profess. I will go and tell. Has the resurrection done that for you? The life that you've been offered in Christ, has it shaped you? Molded you? 
changed you into a witness. And by the way, these witnesses, these disciples, most of them would lay their lives down. For the next 40 years, they would receive abuse, persecution, and they would spread this message all over the known world. This message of a risen Christ. And again, all of this leads to the very same place it did for the disciples there. It leads here. It leads to worship. To acknowledging before the Lord that He is worthy of all praise. We'll conclude with this. This is Paul's statement on the resurrection in 1 Corinthians 15. Just let me read God's Word. Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God Himself because we testified about God that He raised Christ whom He did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished in Christ we have hope in this life only we are of all people most to be pitied look if the resurrection isn't true none of it has power none of it has meaning none of it gives hope we should all just go home but if in fact Christ has been raised from the dead the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep for as by a man came death By a man has also come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, and then it is coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule, every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. But there is power offered in the resurrection. Do you know that power? Let me ask you this. Is the resurrection of Christ molding and forming and shaping the trajectory of your life? as you see the power of the curse around you, as you experience the power of the curse in your daily life, do you also experience the power of a resurrected Christ and the breaking in of His kingdom? Let's pray. Father, we give You 